Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Taliban also has to make an assessment about what they want their role to be in the international community. I don't think that uh, the fact that our forces are, are withdrawing, one, we're not withdrawing, we're staying, uh, the embassy is staying, our programs are staying, we're working to make sure that other partners stay, we're building all of that up, and uh, whatever happens in Afghanistan, if there is a significant deterioration security, um, that could well happen, we've discussed this uh, before. Um, I don't think it's going to be something that happens from a Friday to a Monday. The Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now in Afghanistan. Well equipped, as well equipped as any army against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. Mr. President, thank you very much. Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. Is it, can you please clarify what they have told you about whether that will happen or not? That is not true. They, so, did, not, they didn't, did not reach that conclusion. So what is the level of confidence that they have that it will not collapse? The Afghan government and leadership has to come together. They clearly have the capacity to sustain the government in place. And do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling? None whatsoever. Zero. What you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy. With respect to Afghanistan, our primary military objective at this point is a change of mission to conduct a safe, responsible, coordinated, and deliberate retrograde of U.S. forces from Afghanistan in good order. We will do this in a synchronized fashion, shoulder to shoulder with our allies and NATO partners, and we've been steadily reducing our presence for almost a decade, and we are now in the final phase of that strategic retrograde. As you know, we've been transferring steadily functions and responsibilities to the Afghan security forces for a considerable amount of time. The President of the United States has given us a window to be First of all, on the issue of critical race theory, et cetera, I'll, I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. Um, but I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university. Uh, and it is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage. And I'm white. And I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution. General Taylor, okay. uh, 
General, has the U.S. military conducted any airstrikes today or in the last 24 hours or so? And also, there have been some reports of Afghan pilots um, flying their aircraft into other countries. Um, is that happening? And is the U.S. taking any other sort of steps to prevent aircraft or other military equipment from falling into the hands of the Taliban? Yeah. First on the uh, first question on the strikes. Um, no, no strikes have been conducted in the last uh, 24 hours, but uh, the commander on the ground continues uh, to maintain that capability if required uh, to do so. Uh, the commander has the assets uh, that are available uh, there at HKI and in support uh, from other areas of, of the region. Um, I, I don't have information on the uh, your second part of the question. Those things are what America is yeah. about. It's this melting pot. The other thing I'll just say is I was talking to a Democrat who just said this also felt like the Avengers. It felt like we're being rescued from this, this <laughs> craziness that we've all lived through from the last four years. And now here are the superheroes to come and save us all. You know, David Plus. Additionally, the U.N. Security Council issued a joint press statement earlier today calling for a new government that is united, inclusive and representative including with the full and full and meaningful participation of women. The council spoke with one voice to underscore that Afghanistan must abide by its international obligations, including to international humanitarian law and ensure the safety and security of all Afghans and international citizens. برادران میدان ماشر برای مردمی میدان ماشر است سندان پول چرخی کل مردم آزاد تو تمراس Thank you. May God protect our troops, our diplomats, and all brave Americans serving in harm's way. But first to national security correspondent Jennifer Griffin. Uh, she's live at the Pentagon with some breaking details. Jennifer, what did you just learn from the Kirby briefing that happened at the Pentagon a short time ago? 
Well, Sandra, that briefing just ended. But first, I've just received a very credible firsthand report from those on the ground in Kabul saying that the Taliban are going door to door looking for those who had worked with, had fought alongside the Americans, and they are looking already for retribution. There are terrified people cowering their houses, trying to destroy any evidence that they had worked with the Americans. What we learned from John Kirby, the press secretary here at at the Pentagon, we learned the defense secretary authorized another battalion from the 82nd Airborne, which had been on standby in Kuwait, to go to Kabul. That should bring the number of U.S. troops authorized to return to Afghanistan to 6,000. As of now, there are 2,500 at the Kabul airport. Another 500 are expected to land by tomorrow once flights resume at the international airport. No flights are taking off right now, according to Kirby, as U.S. troops try to secure the airport and regain control after thousands of Afghans flooded the tarmac. Two security incidents to mention at the Kabul International Airport today, with two armed Afghans killed by U.S. troops. Uh, they had a hostile intent, according to John Kirby. No indication, however, that they were Taliban, according to Kirby. There is a preliminary report that one U.S. service member was injured in the melee and shooting at the airport today. As of now, only a few hundred people have been evacuated from Kabul on U.S. flights. 22,000 could be flown to bases in the U.S. Negotiations are continuing for a third country, for another country in the region to process about 8,000 SIVs, special immigrant visas. Back to you. Wow. Stunning developments, Jennifer. What are witnesses describing there on the ground at this hour? Well, witnesses have described to us scenes of humanitarian disaster at the Kabul International Airport, and military sources said they do not expect to remain on the ground for more than three days, not enough time to evacuate the 30,000 Afghans they plan to help. Fox News exclusively obtained this photo, a searing photo of the U.S. Embassy uh, flag that was being carried out of Kabul on an evacuation flight. Videos show Afghans swarming U.S. C-17 transport planes this morning with at least a few uh, Afghans clinging to the wheels. Uh, at least one of those Afghans fell uh, to his death. Uh, again, scenes of humanitarian disaster at the airport. No flights taking off. The U.S. military, the Marines and the, and the 82nd Airborne trying to regain some control and to push the thousands of Afghans who have stormed the airport, trying desperately to get out. Sandra. Jennifer Griffin, uh, live for us on this. Jennifer, uh, we will check back in with you shortly. Thank you. Trace? Pictures are...
A new terror alert has been issued by Homeland Security tonight. Pete Williams is here. Pete, what do we know about this? Well, DHS says this new terrorism advisory is not based on any actual threats or plots, but it says there's a rise in anti-government rhetoric. Some of it is opposition to COVID public health, like masking, claims of election fraud, or a belief that Donald Trump can be reinstated. And DHS says the coming 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks and religious holidays later this year could be catalysts for violence. The last terror advisory was issued in May. It expired today. This new one says domestic extremism remains a threat priority, Lester. All right, Pete, thank you. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 17th of August, year of our Lord, 2021. And I just felt compelled to do something. Have a quick show. Because that is unacceptable. All of it is unacceptable. And I played in that intro. These are the Avengers. These are the people that brought back the adults. They are so good. But what nobody's talking about is the cost of all of this. Two thousand four hundred forty-eight U.S. service members. 3,846 contractors have been killed. Nobody knows that. That's just Afghanistan. 66,000 military and police Afghan. 1,144 allied. 47,000 civilians, which I would say is more. 51,000 Taliban, not enough. Aid workers, journalists. And then the cost, just the cost, the amount of money, $6.5 trillion. $6.5 trillion. So this guy, sorry, I have to move this again. This guy can get his moment. He can say he brought everybody out on January or September 11th. Nothing's changed for these people. The enemy is still you. If you don't want to get vaccinated or you question your kid being masked or you believe the election was pretty fishy or you don't think what January 6th was was worse than the George Floyd summer of love. You're still the terrorist. Not the Taliban. Those are the numbers for him. So he, being the adult, came back off vacation. 
to do a speech. And I could have played more of the speech, but I refused to play more of the speech because that wasn't the speech. The speech was defining why he left Afghanistan, not why it's a clusterfuck. And then he got back on a helicopter and went back to Camp David. No shit. That's what he did. And nobody in the media had a problem with it. I, I just want you to think of all of this. What if Trump? What if Trump did it? These guys are all over the place. They have Twitter accounts, but conservatives don't. There are people, I was a detainee. I was in Gitmo. We, 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 we were literally telling them, as you saw, hey, uh, be inclusive. We've covered on the show all the billions of dollars we did this so they could have gender-neutral classes and shit. But we didn't leave enough forces to stop them from taking over. Really. That's, 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 that's where you're going. That, 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 that's what we did. The Afghan president bailed. There's stories all over the place, not going to cover most of them. The U.S. military suspended air operations. That video is real. Those are people falling off the aircraft as it takes off. I mean, even the mainstream media started criticizing after that happened. You, you, can't, you can't excuse this away that this isn't worse than Saigon. I saw on CNN a picture, and I have it later in the political section, literally two helicopters. It's exact same picture, but one's from 75 and one was from yesterday. Task and purpose was critical. That That's surprising. But we're still inclusivity. We want inclusivity. That's what this is all about. It's about the women. It, it's not about that we lost all these soldiers. It's not about... It's not about that. It's still about this shit. This is a CNN reporter. They, there are betting apps for everything. There needs to be a betting app for the, the, well, that was an abrupt change. There was something spinning out somewhere down here. It was a high pitched whine. I thought it was a computer. I, I don't, I don't know what it is. It, that was freaky weird. It must've been the wife up doing something. Anyway, let's get back to where we were. There, there should be a betting app for who's going to be the first to normalize lefty violence or groups that the media align with, like terrorists. Because, once again, terrorists are better than Trump voters to these people. Because um, CNN would win every time. They're just chanting death to America, but they seem friendly at the same time. It's utterly bizarre. At the president, we have heard some airplanes above us here. I've seen flares from must have been helicopters trying to protect them. I've seen what looks like tracer fire headed in their direction. So it's clearly volatile. That's inside the airport. We tried to head up to it ourselves, and it was startling. At the gate were the van and crowd control, United States, keeping back 
many of the Afghans trying to swarm that particular airport. There'll be some who say, well, they were trying to prevent people leaving who they might consider to have been U.S. allies. But clearly on the ground, they were doing things that were very beneficial to the U.S., using, in fact, vehicles uh, that had been given by the United States to Afghan security forces the Taliban had now taken. I saw people trying to climb 10, 20-foot walls, rushing gates, uh, startling scenes, the occasional crackle of gunfires. They tried to keep people back. Um, but a very volatile situation there, certainly, but a bizarre moment of ironies to flip into word. But to see the United States' enemy for 20 years right up against the last patch of land they still control here in Afghanistan is a startling sight, frankly even after the last 10 days, after so many years here, I'd simply never thought I'd see it unravel just like this. Well, let's reinforce the context of that. You say the Taliban essentially crowd control for the Americans outside of the airport, but uh, while that might be helpful at the moment, it is also just beyond any reasonable doubt, uh, any doubt now, Nick, uh, that outside of that patch of land, as you call it, the airport, Afghanistan is now under the control of the Taliban fully, period, full stop. Absolutely no doubt about that at all. And even the possible... Mostly peaceful terrorists. That's, that's a fucking new, new twist. It just is. And that picture I showed, that was in one day. She just went along with it. Now, granted, she could lose her fucking head, but she went along with it. There was no pushback that I'm being forced. I mean, these are the people that spend all their time pushing women's rights and were the ones that were fully for. I mean, let let we we got to make sure that Afghans are inclusive. We're we're on the State Department still saying. It. Then they got all butt hurt. It's like articles. Calusa Ward attacked by the right wing Twitter over out of context. I'm shocked. Just kidding. Isn't this the same network that brought us mostly peaceful protest? Mostly peaceful. Mostly pro Ted Cruz. Is there an enemy of America for whom CNN won't cheerlead? In mandatory burkas, no less. Sean Hannity, all these people, they got pissed. They got so fucked. They put out a statement. I'm not going to read it. I, I won't even read all the people that said the thing that you thought. They ripped Ted Cruz that how dare he say this kind of stuff. Uh, rather than running off to Cancun in tough times. That's what they said. Then you saw the second one, International Journal for CNN, caused confusion with the contradictory characterization of the Taliban takeover. It's it's all good. It's it's not bad. We're not. This isn't anything to be worried about. Yet you heard in the intro they're doing door to door gooning. They're this State Department left the list, so now they know everybody who's worked with us and they're going to murder them all not like january 6 insurrectionists who trespassed and are such a threat to democracy no no these people are going to murder people there are reports that they've already kidnapped families over there for interpreters that are in the state and said if you don't come home we're going to kill them and there's the photo it's exactly the same, but worse. You couldn't get, you couldn't get the president of the United States to talk for three days 
but the Taliban got a sit-down. There was no pushback. Because that Ayman guy, yeah, he's down with it. A lot of people bring it up. I remember saying, or the president saying, I want to talk about happy things. Happy things. Yeah. And and then and then we get to their talking points. Um this was passed around. White House talking points on Afghanistan appear to be Biden not surprised by the outcome. Boy, the Afghan army is really underperforming. This is Trump's fault. That that's that's their thing. And you saw it in the speech. The president was not willing to enter a third decade of conflict. It's clear from the past few weeks that it would have been necessary more troops. The administration knew that there was a distinct possibility Kabul would fall. It was not inevitable. It was a possibility. POTUS said in July that the Afghan military had the capability to fight the Taliban. The administration planned for every possible contingency. Oh, really? And they're getting away with this. Understand, nobody's pushing back and saying, what contingencies? Motherfuckers taking over the airfield contingency? We focus on safely evacuating U.S. Embassy. There are people trapped all over the place. There are contractors holed up right now in Kabul, Kandahar, everywhere. They can't get out. The administration has deployed 6,000 U.S. military. It's up to like 10 now. Chairman Milley and Secretary Austin are working to restore order. Many have asked why we did not evacuate an Afghan. Part of the answer is that many did not want to leave. That's a total lie. But once again, when you're blaming everybody, you blame even the victim. Because they don't vote for you. Nearly 2,000 civ applicants and their families are in the United States because we've gotten 2,000 out when there's 80,000 at least. Administration knew that there was a distinct possibility. Kabul, it was a, okay, this is a repeat of the first one. United States faced terrorist threats in countries around the world. We don't have boots on the ground. We have over the horizon, which will not work, and we will hold the Taliban accountable. Yeah, sure. Sure you will. Sounds great. Th- this this is pretty fucking sad. This This was all over Twitter yesterday. People jumping off the World Trade Center and falling off airplanes. And that's real. It's all real. You saw the video. People are going to say it's not real. Reportedly fell, all that shit. No, no, they fell. They fell. Things Joe Biden blamed for his total failure in Afghanistan. Trump, Obama, Bush, the Afghan military, the Afghan president, the Afghan people. 20 years of politics. Things he refused to blame for capacity. The Taliban, Biden's own competence, ice cream. That is just an insane picture. That is 640 Afghans crammed in a C-17. It can hold 148 packs. And they decided to go. And they made it off the ground, even though they knew they would probably die. That they'd probably crash. And only God protected them. And they got out. Because that's what our soldiers have done while the leaders have done absolutely dick to win this war and protect the Afghan people. They don't give a fuck. They don't care. 
as stated in the last podcast, and I'll state a million times in this podcast. This started when Obama decided to change the row. We started pulling back. We started or we stopped using the sword. That's all they respect. That's why these people crammed on that airplane. That's why they swamped the airfield. Our media and the Democrats don't understand there are real bad people in the world. They're not January 6th people. They're not Trump voters. They're not parents asking to have no CRT in their school. They're not parents questioning why their kids should be in masks. Those are not bad people. People who missed pronoun are not bad people. The Taliban's bad people. They kill motherfuckers. They don't care about your feelings. We do. Gutfeld said it pretty worse. We started a war with ourselves, and we forgot about this war. Wasn't really that bad. But as you, you can see, most, the first two, he nailed it. The next two, reality. Even the media ain't buying us bullshit. That was a consequential speech by an American president at a consequential time to quote toward the end. I am the president of the United States. The buck stops with me earlier. Joe Biden saying I stand squarely behind my decision. And I'd love to hear you out on the current split between the press and public, the two audiences that will hear and view this speech and the president's choice to go hard with his own decision-making? Well, I'm gonna say two things, and, and um, I, both hard to say, but I, I'll say them anyway, because here we are. 95% um, of the American people will agree with everything he just said. 95% of the press covering this White House will disagree. And for an American president to finally be completely aligned with overwhelming majority of what the American people think about Afghanistan is probably a tremendous relief to the American people. He also went a long way toward really fleshing out a Biden doctrine. And there are questions about whether he can achieve what he set out, but there is no equivocation. There is no lack of confidence that this is the right decision. And what he has going for him is a vast majority of Americans. President Biden made some important points that to an American audience will ring true. The, the point that ultimately we failed in, in, in trying to nation build in Afghanistan, but more importantly, in simply defeating the Taliban. The problem is we lost this war several years ago. We have not been able to defeat the Taliban. Um, Biden did pull the Band-Aid off. Uh, and I, I think he took a very tough decision. Uh, and maybe at the end of the day, there is no elegant way to lose a war. In two decades, more than three quarters of a million American service members have been deployed to Afghanistan. Well, tonight, many wonder if their sacrifices were wasted. We have more on this from CBS's David Martin. Juan Dominguez was a Marine Lance Corporal in 2010, sent into the Taliban heartland of Helmand province, where his battalion lost 25 men killed. 
I'm on the verge of breaking down crying because this is just like we gave so much and just like that is wiped out, you know? He lost both legs and an arm, but incredibly has fashioned a new life as a drummer. His thoughts are with the Afghans who helped the Marines and are now at the mercy of the Taliban. We have seemingly turned our backs on them and just pray, pray for them because our government didn't help them get that safe passage out. It's a disgrace to this country to depart like this. Retired Army Colonel Dave Brostrom lost his son Jonathan at the Battle of Wanad in 2008. We're in a bad situation. I need you to come in hot immediately. The gun camera of an Apache helicopter could make out his body along with the other soldiers killed that day. We will have uh, additional fallen hero missions uh, to follow. I have a total of nine KIA. Over. This is very disheartening. I hate to ask this question. Does it feel to you like your son died for nothing? You know, my son uh, died trying to protect his fellow soldiers. But for the ultimate cause of stabilizing the country and establishing a good government, uh, yes, it was a sacrifice that um, was for naught. The United States spent $1 trillion in Afghanistan, and it seems like peanuts compared to the 2,400 dead and the 22,000 wounded. Nora? There was not a plan in place on how to deal with that. The president also said we didn't get them out earlier because many didn't want to go. Well, many didn't want to go because people like President Biden were saying it was highly unlikely that the Taliban would overtake that country. So there are failures on so many levels here. And you get a sense that uh, he's portraying uh, the options here as a, a simple choice between uh, withdrawing all American forces or having a war that never ends, uh, is, the, is that it's not as simple as that. It's a speech that seemed to miss the moment. He gave a speech uh, defending his decision uh, at, to be the president who did withdraw all America. And he didn't answer the question as to how his administration bungled this. Uh, in fact, he shifted blame. He said, you know, the buck stops here. But it was hard to see where he actually accepted re responsibility. He blamed former President Trump. He blamed the Afghan government. He blamed Afghan troops. He blamed the Afghan people who uh, had decided, he said some had decided that they wanted to wait a while to see uh, if they could get out in an orderly fashion. He did not in any way accept responsibility for the catastrophe that's unfolding in Kabul. And I think missed a moment to uh, demonstrate the kind of leadership to live up to that saying, the buck stops here. There's the humiliation of the moment, but the real problem is getting that airport and getting people out because you're talking about first the Americans. He said thousands of Americans and then there are tens of thousands of Afghans who work for the U.S. Are we going to be able to get them out? There is no provision that I know of for getting them to the airport. They have to get to the airport. We still don't understand what's going to happen to all those Afghans who have to make it to the airport on their own. And frankly, I think the honor of the United States depends on getting those Afghans out. What the president did not do is explain why this has been such a devastating unfolding at the airport and what uh, he will do right now. I think the next month here, Lester, is going to be horrendous for him, public relations-wise. This is going to be a propaganda tool on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 with al-Qaeda, with these prisoners being released, with the Taliban there. I think this is going to be a tough month. 
This administration's so fucking bad. Kamala said, oh, I was the last person in the room and I supported him. This is Pisaki post speech. Great. That wasn't the speech. I mean, do I think any of this really matters? No. No. They're going to spin. Spin it if you like, but President Biden said all these things out loud on July 8th, and we played it. The reality is, this isn't what he said was going to happen. But for our jerk-off of the show, oh, they, they're defending him regardless. I am a politician. The media jerk off of the week. So hot. He has seen the military uh, urge uh, presidents uh, to, to continue a presence in Afghanistan, and he believes it is time to stop. It is time for the U.S. to get out. And we will see the consequences. This, this is going to date me here, but I, I really vividly remember flying into Afghanistan to cover the war when it started nearly 20 years ago and, and watching how quickly the Taliban toppled back then. Now they appear to be retaking the country almost as quickly. The war was really popular back in 2001. Over the years, it has become quite unpopular with Americans. So given the unpopularity, is Biden, is Biden likely to pay a big political price if the situation continues to get worse? worse now? Well, well, it is astounding. I mean, if you remember back when you were going into uh, Afghanistan to cover that initial uh, effort, uh, George, George Bush's was, you know, that then president, his approval rating was well over 90 percent. America was thoroughly behind it. That is a long time ago. Right now, uh, polls and consistently, really for the last several years, have shown that the United States, uh, voters in the United States, Republican and Democrat, have wanted uh, a, a, a withdrawal from Afghanistan. The move that Biden is doing actually right now is quite popular. The question, Dan, is, is given that it has precipitated the kind of disaster we have seen on the ground, will it remain popular? Uh, but right now, there is no question there is war fatigue, specifically fatigue with the war uh, in Afghanistan. But at the end of the day, Biden's the one at the wheel right now. It's a decision. Look, anything that happens, a reconstituted al-Qaeda, we, uh, an ISIS-like uh, result like we saw uh, after withdrawal in Iraq, anything like that, this decision's going to get relitigated over and over again. Look, I happen to think that Biden can serve eight years. And in year nine, something happens and we're going to be relitigating this decision. Candidate Biden promised to bring troops home. And President Biden guaranteed last month there would be no airlifts from the embassy in Kabul, saying it was not at all analogous to the messy exit from Vietnam four decades ago. This is manifestly not Saigon. Still, helicopters continuously evacuated Americans and our Afghan allies to the airport throughout the day. An optical comparison Republicans have seized on as they continue to blast the president's foreign policy strategy. This is going to be a stain on this president and his presidency. And I think he's going to have blood on his hands for what they did. This has been an epic failure across the board, one we're going to pay for for years to come. And Monica joins us now. Monica, are there any plans for President Biden to address the nation? 
Not currently, at least not tonight, Peter. The White House weighing that day by day, with officials acknowledging the American people want to hear from him. For now, the president remains at Camp David, where he has been largely out of view. Since Tonight, President Trump is expected to significantly reduce U.S. troop strength in Afghanistan and Iraq. Now, that's despite warnings from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and fired Defense Secretary Mark Esper that the move could lead to more violence in those countries. CBS News has learned American forces would be cut by about 2,000 in Afghanistan and by 500 in Iraq. That would leave roughly 2,500 U.S. troops in each country. Now, here to Washington, a major announcements coming from the president tomorrow. America America's longest war is coming to an end in a matter of months, a war that cost the U.S. more than 2,000 lives and taxpayers trillions of dollars. CBS's Weijia Jiang has more from the White House. President Biden's decision to withdraw all American troops from Afghanistan is notable for the deadline he chose, September 11th, the 20th anniversary of the attacks that brought them there in the first place to track down Osama bin Laden. Mr. Biden had recently hinted that he would make this move, frustrated with a war that is now in its third decade. We will leave. The question is when we leave, but we are not staying a long time. The Trump administration made a deal to withdraw the 3,300 troops currently there by May 1st, but the president thought that was too soon. The White House said by September, al-Qaeda would no longer pose a threat to the U.S. homeland. Republicans slammed the decision. Precipitously withdrawing U.S. forces from Afghanistan is a grave mistake. Afghan officials fearful of a resurgence. It will be 20 years in October since the U.S. launched those first airstrikes on al-Qaeda targets in Afghanistan. And tomorrow, President Biden will announce the 2,500 U.S. there will be home by the 9-11 anniversary. President Trump had hoped to bring all the troops home by the start of next month after a tenuous agreement with the Taliban. But some military and civilian officials pushed for a few months longer. More than 2,400 American lives have been lost in the war, along with more than 40,000 civilians. The U.S. has 2,500 troops in Afghanistan, plus about 7,000 NATO forces who would also leave. Defense Secretary Austin and Secretary of State Blinken in Europe today briefing allies. We know that the Taliban will attempt to, uh, to come back into power, uh, and I hope that we have put some checks and balances in place with the Taliban and with the Afghan government to ensure that that doesn't happen. Congressional reaction is mixed because the U.S. will be leaving without a Taliban peace deal or guarantees to protect the rights of women. But a senior official... Well, we could make sure that a terror attack on the United States did not happen from there. We did it in the Philippines. We did it in Syria. We reduced terrorism risk all around the world. We would have done it in Afghanistan as well. I just want to ask you one more question about your record, though, sir. You were the first American Secretary of State to ever meet with the Taliban, and you talked about how they had agreed to join us in the fight against terrorism. Here you are, sir. The gentleman I met with agreed that they would break that relationship and that they would work alongside of us to destroy, deny resources to, and have al-Qaeda depart from that place. Do you regret giving the Taliban that legitimacy? Do you regret pressing the Afghan government to release 5,000 prisoners, which they did, some of whom are now back on the battlefield fighting with the Taliban? 
Chris, you make peace with your enemies. The statement that I made that day was absolutely true. You can ask the military leaders on the ground. We did good work to crush al-Qaeda. When we left office, there were fewer than 200 al-Qaeda left in Afghanistan. Chris, we never trusted the Taliban. You can, you can ask them yourselves. We made abundantly clear if they did not live up to that piece of paper, to the words that they had put on the ground, we weren't going to allow them to just walk away from any deal that they'd struck. We were going to go crush them. We were going to go impose real costs on them. We weren't going to let them take these provincial capitals. They, they understood that American power was going to come to their village, to their community, to the friends and family around them, and we were going to make sure that they understood America wasn't going to allow Americans to be killed from this place. We, we didn't take the word of the Taliban. We watched their actions on the ground when they did the right thing and they helped us against terror. That was all good. And when they didn't, we crushed them. Finally, and I want to, I've got about two minutes here, sir. You graduated first in your class. The country is essentially now in the hands of the Taliban for all intents and purposes. Uh, they've taken over Kabul. The president, or should I now say the former president of Afghanistan, Ashraf Ghani, has fled the country. The Taliban have taken over the presidential palace. They've renamed the country the Islamic Emirate, taken down the Afghan flag and hoisted up uh, their own colors. Uh, and it's been a relatively um, peaceful, if you like, a process. They haven't had to fire a lot of shots. There hasn't been a lot of bloodshed in Kabul. It was a pretty straightforward takeover for them. Uh, they've also taken over the airport. Uh, there have been reports of shots fired at the airport and Taliban fighters are, are, are all over the place. Uh, but they're not in any sort of clashes with U.S. personnel. Although commercial flights have so far been suspended, Military evacuation flights are still taking place. And I, from what we understand right now, most of the U.S. personnel are at the airport now trying to get onto various uh, evacuation flights out of the country with a very few security personnel left yes. at the embassy burning what's left of sensitive paperwork. What if... Adrian Elrod, let's get to you now on the political impact. I don't think any sitting president uh, would, would expect these images that we are seeing now to have taken place. This is certainly not something, um, you know, the chaos at the airport, um, the Afghan government completely uh, disbanding and not taking any responsibility for uh, governing their citizens over the last 36 to 48 hours. That is not anything that I think this administration um, could have foreseen. What matters the most is that we get our American citizens out. Um, it would be wonderful if we could also prioritize those Afghan citizens who have been supporting us for the last 20 years. But uh, I've been hearing from um, my contacts in deep within the Democratic Party, and I'm hearing a lot of concern. What are you hearing and what are they saying? What, what is the concern? The concerns are, first of all, I think a lot of people are saying President Biden has been in office for six months. President Trump negotiated with the Taliban, as you just showed on the RNC website, was touting that. Um, so th the question becomes, you know, how do we solve this situation? And we've got to remind folks that this is something that was negotiated by President Trump. Uh, he made a, he boxed us in, in many respects. Um, you know, President Biden was merely carrying out what his predecessor had uh, negotiated. 
And I think that is something that this administration will continue to reiterate. I don't disagree with with Adrian about Trump's involvement with this and that his uh, dealings with the Taliban being downright disgusting and treasonous or whatever else word you want to use, anti-democratic, not conducive to a good outcome, however you want to describe it. But this is Joe Biden's. He made this decision. And I just worry a little bit about the, you know, whataboutism or putting it in. You can do it. He owns a lot of it. And I want to play what our colleague Richard Engel had to say earlier today about, you know, basically how I started off the program, which is asking the question, aren't people, why was the Biden administration caught off guard, so surprised by how quickly the Taliban raced through Afghanistan and is now entering Kabul. Have a listen to what he said, and we'll talk about it on the other side. It's not that it is happening as much as how fast it is happening. Would you agree with that? No. Um, everyone keeps saying that. I've been listening all day. Oh, my God, we're shocked at how fast. I'm not shocked at all. Uh, I, last time I was here, I was looking at the calendar and figuring out, because now with COVID and travel, when you're going to have to come back and how long you have to isolate, COVID makes you have to plan ahead a little bit on traveling. And I thought Kabul was going to fall right around now. That was just a gut instinct. And I think lots of people that I spoke to believe that. Last time I was here, I spoke to Afghan government officials, to Afghan military officials. It was well known that the security services were collapsing a month, two months ago, three months ago. So this this feigned surprise that, uh, or maybe it's genuine surprise, but if it is, I don't understand what it's based on. Uh, it was quite clear that, that it was going to come to this when you started to see uh, the Taliban take territory without having to fight months ago. So no, I, I'm not at all surprised by the speed. And then you know these things snowball once you have enough momentum and have enough. There you had it, the two-step. It's Trump's fault. Or it's his legacy. Bill Crystal, yeah, he had the balls. Choose to lose a war and relegate a country to a new dark age is terrible, but doing very little to ensure that those who helped us and those who counted on us can reach safety before we leave adds a dishonor of abandonment to the disgrace. Disgrace and defeat, Bill voted for this guy. President Biden said today he's acting to make sure we can have an orderly and safe drawdown of U.S. personnel and other allied personnel and an orderly and safe evacuation of Afghans who helped our troops during our mission and those of special risk from Taliban advance. But anyone who's heard directly or indirectly from the Afghans... Oh, sorry. Picture's all fucked up. Let's get this right. There we go. Uh, who have worked with us and helped us, who have stepped up... At our encouragement and who are all grave risks know it's simply not true that we now have in place means for the orderly and safe evacuation. One Afghan interpreter for a military by whom I just heard from, for many examples, completed all the requirement for the SIB program, but he and his family are in Kabul. Do we have resource primary air power one assumes that could be brought to bear to halt the Taliban events? No. I understand the Biden administration seemed to have decided to accept defeat, but defeat with such dishonor? You voted for this. These are the same people who stopped Trump from doing it. A scaled withdrawal. These are the same people that for six months... I've been doing this at our embassies, hiring diversity officers. Now Taliban's flying in Kabul and Afghan women and kids will be enslaved by medieval tyrants. Virtue singling doesn't defeat e evil, but it gets you votes.
I mean, this is a long soundbite. I'm going to pay it. This lady had the balls to open her mouth. Now, Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney, a member of the Armed Services Committee and a former State Department official. Congresswoman Cheney, when you look at this, this effort, nearly 20 years of a U.S. military presence in Afghanistan, $83 billion spent to train and equip the Afghan security forces. Why has this been such a colossal failure? Well, I think if you look at where we were, uh, if you look at what it would have taken in terms of maintaining the status quo, 2,500 to 3,500 forces on the ground, conducting counterterrorism, counterintelligence operations, um, this disaster, the catastrophe that we're watching unfold right now uh, across Afghanistan did not have to happen. And it's not just that people predicted that this would happen. Everyone was warned that this would happen. Uh, we've now created a situation where, as we get to the 20th anniversary of 9-11, uh, we are surrendering Afghanistan to uh, the terrorist organization that uh, housed al-Qaeda when they uh, plotted and planned the attacks against us. Uh, it's inexcusable, it's devastating, uh, and it is going to have ramifications not just for Afghanistan, not just for us in Afghanistan, not just for the war on terror, but globally for America's role in the world, uh, the extent to which America's adversaries uh, know they can threaten us, and our allies are questioning uh, this morning whether they can count on us for anything. Now, ultimately, this is President Biden's decision. He is the one that has called for this withdrawal, is going forward with it. But this, is, this didn't happen in a vacuum. I mean, right. it was President Trump that negotiated the agreement with the Taliban to have a, a complete withdrawal that was supposed to actually happen by May 1st. So who bears responsibility? Look, I, I think uh, absolutely uh, President Biden bears responsibility for making this decision. Uh, but there is no question that President Trump, his administration, Secretary Pompeo, they also bear very significant responsibility for this. They walked down this path of legitimizing the Taliban, of uh, perpetuating this fantasy, telling the American people that the Taliban were a partner for peace. Uh, President Trump told us that the Taliban was going to fight terror. Uh, Secretary Pompeo told us that the Taliban was going to renounce al-Qaeda. None of that has happened. None of it has happened. Uh, today, as we watch the Taliban, for example, release prisoners uh, across Afghanistan, there's very real concern that there are not just fighters in those prisons who will join the battle in Afghanistan, uh, but that terrorist groups globally will, in fact, be fed uh, you know, new soldiers in their war on terror from those prisons. Um, this is a, it's a devastating set of circumstances, but the delegitimization of the Afghan government, the notion in the Trump administration, the suggestion that at one point they were saying we're going to invite the Taliban to Camp David. Uh, on they, September 11th. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 uh, this disaster uh, certainly began. Uh, and, and look, the notion of we're going to end endless wars, that campaign slogan. What we're watching right now in Afghanistan is what happens when America withdraws from the world. So everybody who has been saying America needs to withdraw, America needs to retreat, we are getting a devastating...
blaming Trump, not her dad, not herself. Trump. Nancy Pelosi. The president is to be commended for the clarity of purpose in a statement on Afghanistan and his action. The Taliban must know the world is watching his action. We are concerned about reports regarding the Taliban brutal treatment of women and girls. The U.S. and the international community and the Afghan government must do everything we can to protect women and girls from inhumane treatment. Women and girls, that's all we care. Congress shares the president's concern for Afghans who assisted U.S. effort, blah, blah, blah. Is this a parody account? People are asking. The Taliban must know the world is watching its actions. I guess that's why they're broadcasting video, you utter moron. Words. The Taliban. That's a Twitter account. You and I will literally be deplatformed. But that they got Twitter accounts. Just saying. Then we have this utter calamity. They outed a CIA chief. They outed him. Just to get a photo op and show that he wasn't totally asleep. Because they're all asleep. It's not important. Why would that be important? Pasaki's on vacation. What did WAPO publish yesterday? The GOP is reviving the old history of blaming outsiders for disease. DHS may tap private companies to spy on Americans. Scalise. Taliban got a country. Russia got a pipeline. Illegal immigrants got a free path to the United States. Meanwhile, American citizens got inflation, high gas prices, and crime. Biden's time presidency has been a disaster. It's only been seven fucking months. Never hear it. Chris. So this is the one. I just want happy thoughts. Just happy. Ruben. This is her take. We are in extracting tens of thousands of Afghans and whether Afghan becomes breeding ground for terrorism versus us before. I pronounce whether this is a disaster or not. I mean, do we have to do all decide in the first 24 hours? She's she's doing it. Her next one was everything's great. And right off the bat, OPEC goes, go fuck yourself. Chris Saliza, seven months of his first term, Biden's face with nothing short of a crisis of competence. He's been a crisis of confidence forever. Daily Show, the situation in Afghanistan makes America look so bad, Texas has already banned schools from teaching it. They're going to keep politicking because that, that's what they do. Washington Post publisher asked Biden to help evacuate journalists because they're trapped. Stephen L. Miller, 2014, VP on Afghanistan. We will leave in 2014. Alexander Vindman is happy to help 
Biden win. Coy about whistleblowers. Rashida Tlaib, if we don't start putting people, everyone, everyday people first, no matter what country they're born in, this will keep happening. Let's start by opening our country to shelter refugees. That's what this is, a horrible consequence of endless war and failed U.S. policy going back to the 1980s. We back the Taliban against the Soviets. Innocent people suffer the horrors of war while political leaders and arm-dealing corporations sit back and make billions. After a weekend of silence about this unfolding disaster, the squad has finally figured out, let's go back to the 80s. Drew Holden, huge thread. We'll save it for next show, but it's just gigantic. Just a gigantic thread. All the people. All of it. It it just doesn't stop, because why would it? We lost everything. Glenn Greenwald, watching Biden officials and their partisan neocons liberal try to claim this withdrawal was Trump's plan is shamelessly deceitful. Trump did want to leave Afghanistan, but Biden spent the year boasting that it was his choice and plan. Camila leaked that she was key in it. Peter Baker, just a matter of crass politics, the best thing going for Biden is that Trump was one who made the withdrawal deal with Taliban while cutting out the Afghan government and, in fact, wanted to pull out even more precipitously and invited Taliban to Camp David. Janet Mullen Grissom, just a matter of crass politics, Biden spent six months crowing about how bad Trump policy was and changing everything. Let's be clear, Biden fell in the trap set by Trump, who, whenever he meets them, promotes male supremacy authoritarianism. These are all journalists. Of course, that's that's what they're going to say. I mean, that's that's what we're, this is what we are. This is what we are. This right there sums up everything that's a field grade officer in the military and it sums up what i said last podcast but i'll say this podcast we'll say every fucking podcast that our military is too busy doing woke to do war fighting he's supposed to be a political but as everybody lost everything this picture just fucking sums everything up it just sums it all up taliban capture kabul marking final victory as afghanistan collapses and that was task and purpose who's been all biden the american epoch of failure the spectator the atlantic afghanistan failures your fault cuz you didn't care not biden's not not obama's they, they had some trump in there biden's betrayal of afghan will live in infamy our abandonment of the afghans who helped us counted on us and staked their lives on us is final gratuitous shame that could have been avoided New York Times, 20 years U.S. war ending as it began with Taliban ruling Afghanistan.
WAPO. Taliban is retaking Afghanistan. Here's how the Islamist group rebuilt what it wants. I didn't think I had it, but I do have the, it was by Tom Nichols. It's your fault. It's your fault. Not the leaders. This is what CNN was covering while this is going down. A book that's not even coming out for seven months, but it's about Trump. Yeah, makes sense. Leon Panera, Panetta, Bay of Pigs. Some people are starting to get it. Some people. I struggle to make sense of it all. Top Air Force Commando echoes how many feel about Afghanistan. If, like me, you find yourself trying to put your own experience into some context, which will allow you to move forward, I urge you to talk. I got three emails from vet organizations yesterday. Go talk. Task and purpose shows troops on the ground dealing with all sorts of fucking shit, trying to hold it together. It's a total fucking clusterfuck. It's a total mess. And there were a few times military people got to speak yesterday. Got in Afghanistan because that's where the terrorists from 9-11 trained and attacked us from. And the immediate response was sending U.S. Special Forces into Afghanistan to basically uh, link up with friendlier forces there and go after the terrorists, uh, specifically the al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden, who was believed to be hiding there. Uh, your, our other guest from CIA probably has a much fuller answer for that there than I do. Yeah, Matt, I actually was going to come to you with the next end of that from why we got in to how we are getting out. Marilyn on Instagram asked, if not now, when should we have gotten out? Wasn't it inevitable that the Taliban would take power? I don't blame Biden or any past president. I just think this is what was going to happen. I'm praying for those Afghanistan women and children. Marilyn, we will talk more about the women and children of Afghanistan as our coverage continues. So please stay with us for that. But Matt, what about her question? If not now, now, when? Wasn't it kind of inevitable that this might happen? Yeah, unfortunately, it clearly was. You know, when I served in 2008, I, I had a succinct feeling we had lost then for, for a number of reasons. Um, my favorite is I, I, I got to meet my enemy once. It was after a battle in which we had killed all a certain number of Taliban fighters, and there was only one guy left alive, and I actually got to talk to him. And I asked him, why was he fighting us? I explained to him that he couldn't beat me in a battle. I had just killed all of his buddies that day, that I had more military might that he could ever bring to bear on the battlefield. But why was he fighting me? I wanted to know that. And he, he pointed at my watch and he said, you Americans have all the watches. We have all the time. And I knew then what he meant was he was trying to say that they simply meant to outbleed us, that they knew that eventually we would tire of this and, and want to go away. And I also saw from the Afghan military that it was going to take at least a generation to train them and that we would probably lose interest by then. But here's what's so tragic. At the beginning of this year, we had 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. We had not suffered a casualty in a very long time, and we still controlled every single major city. Those women you care about, their futures are over. The Afghan government is gone. And that's frightening because this Taliban is not the Taliban of the 1990s. Right. The Taliban of the 1990s took over a, a 
country that was devastated by a civil war and had a couple of tanks. This Taliban, they now have more helicopters than 166 other nations on the planet, to include Australia. They have an air force. They have armed drones. They have all that military equipment that you saw pouring into Iran. They have that tenfold everywhere. Well, then, Kevin, with regards to all of that, after the 20 years that we spent, that gets to a question from Terry, who tweeted, I want to know, after 20 years, what has changed for the better? How long should American troops be expected to give up their lives for an unwinnable war? Let's break this into two parts. Kevin, why don't you take the first part? What has changed for the better, if anything, in Afghanistan, including perhaps some of the things that might change back under the Taliban? Yeah, that's a two-part question and a loaded one at the end as well. Uh, uh, look, the, there are lots that, that had changed for the better, uh, uh, you know, and that's right. The Taliban then is different than, than the one we're seeing today, and so is the country. There are a lot of aid workers uh, who point to women first and foremost that say, that say, look, women couldn't go to school before, and under the United States-led uh, coalition and the, and the now past Afghan government, women did go to school, and they went to school in droves. They had better rights, not perfect rights by any means, but better rights. There were actually uh, women serving in government leadership positions. There was something different happening. There was greater agricultural production. There was greater economic output. There was an international community behind them. There were a lot of things different that were better. Uh, But there also was rampant corruption. And Afghanistan still remained one of the least developed countries on the face of the earth by the UN Development Index. Uh, This is the the country where, you know, we weren't sent in to train, uh, you know, a military to become a better military. Uh, I also spent a lot of time going in and out, getting briefed by commanders in charge of the training mission who said, look, this population can't even read. They don't understand the numbers that are written on the checks that are meant to pay them. Uh, I remember meeting one special operations uh, soldier who said that they realized when they were talking to counterparts one evening under the stars that the Afghans they were speaking to didn't have a concept of the solar system. So the gap from from, uh, zero to whatever the goals were, were, including a functioning, let's say, Air Force, uh, government governance, was monumental. But things have changed. Things were better for a whole lot of Afghans. This was not just a bad news story until today. Well, Matt, that kind of gets to the second part of Terry's question about how long American troops should be expected to give up their lives for an unwinnable war. Understanding, of course, that baked into the question is the assumption that the war is unwinnable. But considering what Kevin told us, I wonder if you, Matt, think that this could have gone any other way. I mean, as long as the American military stayed there, we essentially protected the status quo. I would argue that what is now transpiring is far worse. Look, let me ask your viewers this. I wanted this war to end too, okay? I have a daughter, she's nine. If it had gone on much longer, she could have fought in it. And shame on us for having it gone on that long. It would have been like if I had fought in Vietnam when I graduated from high school. But that being said, if we're a country that really truly cares about human rights and defending those human rights, unfortunately, sometimes that means defending them at the barrel end of a gun. And the people who just took over Afghanistan are as evil as the Nazis. They are conducting mass executions right now in some of the cities like Kandahar, where they come and they make people come to the stadiums and watch it. Women in Herat are now banned from going to work. And that seems to be a common theme now all across the country. I I can't help but think that what has transpired is truly awful. And what I'm most concerned about is not only the 10,000 American citizens who are still currently trapped in Afghanistan, some of whom are my own family, 
I'm also worried about the over 90,000 Afghan wartime allies and their family members, the interpreters, the truck drivers, the, the engineers, the IT workers, the people who picked up our trash. All of those people now are going to be sentenced to death. Matt, because can the I back Taliban you up this one? I'm sorry, to I'm sorry to interrupt you, Matt. You mentioned that people who are trapped in Afghanistan, including your family, have you been able to make contact with them at all? Like, do you know what condition they're in? You might have looked at me at the beginning of the scene, me looking down at my phone. Yeah, I, they're alive. I have a cousin who's at the airport, and I've got another relative who's trapped in the city. And I'm trying to get them out. You know, th this is personal for a lot of us. So I'm curious to hear your reaction of this consequential speech by the American president. Didn't run from it. He owned it. He owned his decision. He owned the fact that, as he put it, the buck stops with him. I hope he gets to own their deaths, too. I, I don't I feel like I watched a different speech than the rest of you guys. I was appalled. There was such a profound, bold faced lie in that speech. The idea that we plan for every contingency. I have been personally trying to tell this administration since it took office. I've been trying to tell our government for years that this was coming. We sent them plan after plan on how to evacuate these people. Nobody listened to us. They didn't plan for the evacuation of our Afghan wartime allies. They're trying to conduct it now at the 11th hour. The thing that they were most concerned about was with the optics of a chaotic evacuation. Well, they got exactly what they were most concerned of by failing to do what was right when we could have done it. We had all the people and equipment in place to be able to save these people months ago, and we did nothing. I'm appalled that he thinks that we only need to take 2,000 people. There's 86,000 people who are currently left behind in Afghanistan alone. We've identified all of them for the government. I have no idea why they, 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 he claims that people don't want to leave Afghanistan. I have a list of 14,000 names right now of people who want to get out of Afghanistan. And the idea that the Afghan military should be blamed for this, do you know how many casualties the Afghan military took in an average year? More than the United States did in 20. When you're not getting paid on a regular basis, when you're not getting fuel, when no one is supplying you with ammunition, and yet you're still showing up to the fight, how dare us for having to blame these people for not having the audacity to be able to survive a Taliban onslaught? No, no, no. What we need to be doing right now, and what I am appalled that the president didn't say, was we need to be talking about how we're going to get every single one of these people out. And, uh, and all I can think is that these men sacrifice not just their life, but when you sacrifice your life, you sacrifice every single minute and day that you would have stayed on this earth making an impact in other people's lives. Amen. And as mad as and frustrated as I am today, I just hope the American people understand these people died for you. Let's make this world a better place. Let's elect leaders that are, that are leaders and not just politicians. And as much as we want to complain, maybe let's look forward and look for the right people to do the right things uh, because we haven't had much of that in a while. That guy with Brian Williams just tore him a new asshole and I loved it. But there was hope through all this. And the hope is that our media woke up. Some, including Jake Tapper, surprisingly, took this incompetent ass to task. Mr. Sullivan, friends and foes alike are calling this withdrawal a fiasco, a debacle, and it is one that apparently the administration did not fully appreciate or see coming. Let me play you uh, some of what the president himself has said in the last six weeks or so. The likelihood there's going to be 
the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling... None whatsoever. Zero. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. And yet that is precisely what we have seen over these last few days. How do you explain getting this so wrong? Well, first, Savannah, to be fair, the helicopter has been the mode of transport from our embassy to the airport for the last 20 years. But you know the larger that is, point. That is, it's not the that helicopter. Is how we it's not the mechanism. Forth, so. No, no, it's to, the last minute scramble. You know that. It's the last minute scramble when the assurances from the president himself were. Stunning collapse. The Taliban take over with terrifying speed, described as Saigon on steroids. At home, pressure now growing on President Biden and the administration to respond. Afghanistan falls, a catastrophe for its people and a debacle for the Biden administration. Americans evacuated from the embassy by helicopter scenes echoing the darkest final days of Vietnam. The capital now officially under Taliban control this morning. The quick takeover described as, quote, Saigon on steroids. President Biden is saying you wouldn't see helicopters evacuating the embassy like Saigon. And yet here we are. This is this is President Biden's Saigon moment. Many observers compare the scenes to the fall of South Vietnam back in 1975. This appears to be the Saigon moment in Afghanistan. It, it certainly does, George. White House officials don't rule out the president saying more publicly about the situation in Afghanistan in the coming days, but say there are no current plans for him to do so or for him to point. So I, I can't, I, you know, Jonathan Lemire, I know you want to jump in. I, I don't disagree with, with Adrian about Trump's involvement with this and that his uh, dealings with the Taliban being downright disgusting and treasonous or whatever else word you want to use, anti-democratic, not conducive to a good outcome however you want to describe it. But this is Joe Biden's. He made this decision. And I just worry a little bit about the, you know, whataboutism or putting it back on Trump. You can do it. He owns a lot of it. But Joe... Where, where is the president? You know, why, why isn't he communicating fulsomely to the American people? The president has been deeply engaged in all of the policy conversations and in this situation as it evolves in real time. We have uh, met with the president and his entire national security team uh, daily and often multiple times a day. That's going to continue this issue a number of times in, in recent weeks. He, we he has he not looked, to John, totally different story than a few weeks ago, right? I mean, why isn't he out there now? Kabul fell yesterday. Where is the president? Uh, I mean, again, uh, Brianna, the president has spoken to this extensively, and I expect that he will speak to it again soon. Soon. In the coming days, should we hear something from him today? Do you expect that? It seems like the moment demands that. I I'm not going to get ahead of uh, both decision-making and announcements on this. All I can say at this point is that we expect the president again to address uh, the American people on Afghanistan, and as soon as we have more to say about that, we will. We've been listening to President Biden speaking at the White House, forced to talk about the worsening crisis in Afghanistan, forced to speak uh, to the nation after the calamity of the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan, the president stated that he stands squarely behind the decision he made to withdraw all U.S. forces from Afghanistan, even though he has, in fact, been forced to send roughly 6,000 back in. The president saying, in fact, that if anything, the events of the last few days, this foreign policy and humanitarian disaster proves to him that he made the right decision. 
given the fleeing of Afghan politicians from the country and the collapse of the Afghan military. The president said that the buck stopped with him, but in fact, this speech was full of finger pointing and blame, especially for the Afghans, even saying that while the U.S. would be working to rescue those Americans and U.S. allies who needed to be saved, he claimed part of the reason why the U.S. did not save sooner Afghan allies, the translators and others who worked with the U.S. military, who fear being slaughtered by the Taliban, they didn't act sooner, the president said, because some Afghans, he claimed, did not want to leave earlier because they were hopeful about a new Afghan government. Mr. Biden also said that the Afghan government discouraged the U.S. from ordering a mass exodus uh, for fear of triggering a crisis of confidence, the president said. Mr. Biden also focused on the larger decision to end the U.S. presence in Afghanistan. That was, in fact, his larger focus. Whether or not the U.S. should continue to be there, he did not really get into or accept any blame for the catastrophic exit that we have been watching on television. Everything we can uh, to make sure that's the case. Everything except for you. His intent on avoiding a Saigon moment. Uh, that's a reference, of course, to the hasty and humiliating U.S. evacuation from Vietnam. But with this troop surge to airlift Americans out of Afghanistan, aren't we already in the midst of a Saigon moment? No, we're not. Remember, uh, this is not Saigon. We went to Afghanistan 20 years ago with one mission, and that mission was to deal with the folks who attacked us on 9-11. And we have succeeded in that mission. The objective that we set, bringing uh, those who attacked us to justice, uh, making sure that they couldn't attack us again from Afghanistan, we've succeeded in that mission. Uh, and in fact, we succeeded a while ago. Uh, and at the same time, uh, remaining in Afghanistan um, for another one, five, ten years. You know, the British were there for a long time in the 19th century. Uh, the Russians were there for a long time in the 20th century. We've now been there twice as long as the Russians. And how that's in our national interest, uh, I don't see. And as I mentioned a moment ago, I think most of our strategic competitors around the world would like nothing better than for us to remain in Afghanistan uh, for another year, five years, ten years, and have uh, those resources dedicated uh, to being in the midst of a civil war. It's simply not in our interest. You don't think that Afghanistan now is going to become a hotbed of, of terrorism? 20 years. 20 years. That's how it ends. It's not all Biden's fault, but he's been pushing for it forever. The lineage that have served from when I did in 2001 to 2002 to now. 2,446 dead soldiers. I did a lot of tweeting yesterday, and one of them I think was pretty true. This was the forgotten war. Media, the left, hated Iraq. Plus, it became really good for them. No WMDs. George Bush lied. People died. Shtick. But if you follow the store show, uh, that's why I didn't register as a Democrat. They wouldn't even finance shit. Everything was a football. Then Obama takes over. And we turn the whole thing into, I don't even know what it was. I just don't know what it was. It was a mess. We just didn't. 
finish the job. We never finished it. We would gain ground. We'd give it back. So not does this, this doesn't just affect us because we fought there and we lost friends and people committed suicide over that god-awful war. It's a people we met. There'll be a picture in a second of a guy I met. He was from Chicago. It was the first time he could go back to his country because the Taliban wasn't in charge. And he was there trying to help as an interpreter. I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's alive. I don't know if he's dead. I know now because of utter incompetence by the State Department, they know everybody who ever served with us, helped us, and they're going to kill them all. Because while we spend all this time talking about how bad America is and how everybody's racist unless you believe like the liberals in the mainstream media. I mean, we, we, we're talking about parents that don't want CRT and to mask their kids. Parents who just want their kids to go back to work. To this. I mean, it was quick, but this was going on. He announced in April he was doing this. What did we do to prepare? Why didn't we evacuate interpreters? Why? We have dead soldiers all over the Middle East. A lady tweeted yesterday, her husband's still there. There was nothing to pick up after the helicopter crashed. So that Biden could get a photo op that war accomplished? I mean, did we not just start all this with Bush saying mission accomplished and he didn't even put the banner up, some jackass did? And how embarrassing that was? And how... They were so out of touch. Do we remember this? But this cat can do it. I've had friends reach out, and I appreciate every one of you, but I, there's only one person on TV that's done anything. Brett Baer, he ended his show with, I know it's tough. We appreciate you. Because I don't think people understand there is a lot, over 800,000 people have served in Afghanistan. And to literally live the last seven months where we're all racist Nazi insurrectionists, our military leaders spending more time looking at how to root out Trump voters because they're evil than war fight. That's just astounding. Because boom, it's gone. Everything anybody worked for, it's all gone. When I got there, we were finishing the end of the Taliban. 
20 years later, the Taliban owns the country. When I got there, we were stopping them from melting women's face and all the shit that happened to anybody who didn't believe in the religion they believed in. Now it's back. It's just unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. That's why you saw those men on the airfield. They probably served with us. They gotta leave. Where are the women and children? They're fucking hiding they're hiding those are real insurrectionists not the geriatrics who walked through the capital and trespassed the, the, it just shows how unserious we are as a people, just unserious. We've been at the mall. We've been on social media. We've been concerned about the dumbest, fucking, most trivial things like pronouns. All cops are murderers, and all the things we've gone through. The. the What about this? Why can't we as a country between administrations continue one task anymore? And I think that's a part the the thing that's being missed by everybody. We are so fractured as a nation politically that a war can't be handed off between administrations. I had a soundbite today, and I don't know where the hell it went, of Ford, after the fall of Saigon, sitting on a podium getting grilled by the media. There he is, from Chicago, right there. Great guy. Was at the SF base, talked to him every day. He was just a really good dude. But Ford sat there and he took it. I just don't think we're serious people anymore. We're just not serious. Our fucking phones and all the things that we care about are so unimportant. I mean, look at COVID. We can't even do a fucking pandemic without it being political right off the bat. But as all things on this show, it's the fucking media. They make it political. I mean, CNN all day yesterday, they didn't stop. I mean, here's just a few things that aired.
Exactly. And I think that's one of the real challenges here is that the census on the one hand is telling us something we already know, that America is a deeply multiracial nation. But the politics of Republican redistricting really reflects a kind of ugly logic of removal, right? Where they're trying to disappear certain voices and populations, right? And so I think they're trying to basically disappear a lot of Americans politically, right? Stephen Miller couldn't do it or Trump couldn't do it in their politics in a complete way, though they tried with anti-immigration sort of politics. But the GOP really can't make the nation whiter. So they're using redistricting to strip citizens of their power and to make Congress look less like America. Christina Beltran, uh, you know, a lot of Republicans say, I don't know, I don't know why people are ganging up on, uh, on us for this. Everybody has gerrymandered in history. Uh, so have Democrats. Listen to what Eric Holder had to say about this. So there's not a tension between fairness and Democrats doing better. In fact, if it's fair, Democrats will do far better. Democrats don't have to cheat. We don't have to gerrymander. Republicans do in order to uh, deal with a, a nation that is more diverse, that is younger, that is more urban, that is more suburban, and that people need to focus on is less, less rural. Uh, what's the solution to gerrymandering? Is it this uh, For the People Act that, that is before the Senate that Democrats are having trouble sort of getting over the hump on? I think the For the People Act is critical. I think the the issue on the table now is to get election reform through Congress so that we can have free and fair elections. Because if we don't pass something that deals with things like redistricting uh, and gerrymandering, we are going to be locked out of of, rep, of you know being represented in our own society. So I think you know we talk about the fact that off-year elections aren't usually super, really very good for Democrats, as Ray was saying. Um, this time has to be different. We have to organize politically as as the crisis that this is, because right now we're really facing two choices. On the one side, we have the possibility of becoming a truly multiracial democracy in which political power is shared and where every person has an equal voice and an equal vote. And on the other side is, you know, and, and that's the chance for us to live our highest ideals of freedom and democracy. And the other side's vision is just a vision that is so cramped and scared and, and full of conspiracy theories. We can't let that win. So we have to politically mobilize to make sure that we have... The temperatures being reported out of Portland, Oregon are mind-boggling. This is not just hot, it is dangerous. This will break record temperatures for all time. As the planet warms, we're going to be looking for more ways to beat the heat. Many people had to rush to cooling stations when they lost power. Air conditioning accounts for 10% of all global electricity consumption. And the demand for this type of cooling is expected to triple by 2050, which could strain already overworked electric grids. As it gets hotter, air conditioners, refrigeration systems need more energy to run. The more electricity we use for cooling, the more challenging it is to operate and to provide electricity reliably. That's why it's the company SkyCool's mission to make existing cooling systems run more efficiently. Taking advantage of a sure. All objects give off heat in the form of invisible infrared radiation. As heat leaves an object, it becomes cooler, a process known as radiative cooling. But some objects can actually become colder than the air surrounding it. It's part of the reason frost forms on grass even if the air temperature is above freezing. But this only happens Once the sun rises, the grass eventually warms back up. So, SkyCool designed a new material with radiative cooling properties that work 24 hours a day. Radiative cooling, in the sense that we're doing it, has really never been out there before. The effect was never observed during the day, and by enabling it with these films that we've developed, you can now use this type of cooling even when it's under direct sunlight. 
Developed using modern nanotechnology, the film has hundreds of tiny optical layers designed to emit a specific wavelength of radiation that maximizes cooling. But it's also highly reflective, absorbing little energy so it stays cool even under the sun. That combination of properties has never been found in nature. They're incredibly reflective, like I'm, they're almost blinding, but are they, are they actually physically cool to the yeah, touch? Yeah, exactly. So you can can, I, can of I touch course, them yeah. or are I going to blind and burn myself at the same time? Yeah, and so oh, you can wow, compare yeah. it to any other surface on the roof, it'll be much cooler. Yeah, they're much cooler than what I would expect. I mean, it's hot. It's a hot day and that's yep. cool to the touch. Yeah. This is an infrared image of the panels on our roof. You can see there's just a, a really stark contrast in, in temperature between the surfaces that are these radiative cooling films and then the roof of the, the building. And what is that temperature difference? It's going to be on the order of 40 Fahrenheit, it looks like. And because the panels don't need any electricity to get cold, SkyCool says they can help a building's cooling system operate with less power. Here's how. First, the panels cool down water running through pipes embedded behind them. Then, that cold water flows into a refrigeration or air conditioning system to help chill refrigerant liquid. That takes some of the workload off the condenser. The less the condenser runs, the more money is saved in an energy bill. Anything that we can do to take some of a load off of the power grids, I'm all for it. In 2019, SkyCool installed its panels at this grocery store in Stockton, California, where it's hot and dry most of the year. The store says it saw a notable difference. After we had our SkyCool system installed, our electricity company increased their rates on us. We actually didn't see our bill go up at all. In fact, we saw it go just a little bit down. We've saved on average about 3000 a month. SkyCool has since installed panels at a retail store in Southern California and a data center in Sacramento, helping to cool computer servers. Eventually, SkyCool hopes to bring its energy-saving panels to other commercial buildings and someday to the roofs of homes. Imagine using this on the roofs of uninsulated buildings in Asia or Africa and India, where it's expected to be you know, billions of new air conditioners coming. Consolidating power and climate change never changes. So let's end with This Is America. The airplane, the CNN reporter, and Tucker taking them all down. You know, uh, Kaylee, this is not how the last president left the situation. No. But it has taken us 20 years to get to this point of whatever the decisions were that delivered us, no end game. Those Gold Star families need what Lieutenant Colonel Davis just told me. They need accountability. Yeah. They need that for their own closure. Um, but without all of that, it would have been nice just to get our people back quickly. Yes. Instead, the, yeah. like those, those flights are suspended. Yep. And we don't know who's coming onto that tarmac now. Yes, let me be categorical in saying this. This would have never happened under President Donald J. Trump. It would not have. And Miranda outlined some of the differences, the conditions-based withdrawal. Also, our adversaries feared us. They noticed when President Trump took out Soleimani. They noticed when he, when he went into Syria after that horrible gas attack on the people. They took notice and they respected our commander-in-chief. And now you have, it is, it is stunning to me, Harris. I was with you on Friday. 
48 hours later, we have a newly declared terrorist-run country called the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. In 48 hours, and our Secretary of State said this is not something that could ever happen between a Friday and a Monday. Well, it did happen between a Friday and a Monday. And you had Joe Biden telling us on July 8th, hey, it's highly unlikely the Taliban takes over. Well, they did. And let me be clear. We do not have a commander-in-chief right now. We have a vacationer-in-chief. We have a hider-in-chief who for six days has stayed silent so, as Afghanistan has fallen. So, Kaylee, does 3.45 p.m. Eastern, though, change that? When no, we hear from no. the president. Too little, too late. It has been six days. <clears throat> Literally, the press secretary, you get an auto response when you email her inbox. Six days as people are hanging from planes, as little girls and women in this country are facing horrible circumstances, sex slavery, the interpreters who, who are being left behind, our military having to scramble. And for six days, you have someone. They're just chanting death to America, but they seem friendly at the same time. It's utterly bizarre. At the president. Joe Biden went on television today, this afternoon, and talked to the country about Afghanistan. He said, among other things, that we had no choice but to leave. And on that question, he is right. The United States should have left Afghanistan 19 years ago when it became obvious that Osama bin Laden wasn't there and had fled to Pakistan. There was no reason to stay in the country. And the longer we remained, the worse it was always going to be. The question is, and the relevant question today, is how exactly do you get out? Just because something is necessary doesn't mean you get to ignore the details of it. If you learned you needed an emergency appendectomy, would it matter to you who performed the operation, a surgeon with a scalpel or a drunk guy with a pocket knife? Yes, it would matter to you. But it didn't matter to Joe Biden, apparently. He barely mentioned the withdrawal today. Biden did the necessary thing in the ugliest possible way. If you've been watching television during the day, you've probably seen this footage. It's terrified men in sandals clinging to the side of a C-17 as it attempts to leave Afghanistan. And this is the iconic photo of the moment. It's the final humiliating scene of the American occupation of Afghanistan. That means that after 20 years and trillions of dollars, our leaders couldn't manage to pull off an orderly retreat. They couldn't even secure a single runway. And that's the main lesson of the fall of Kabul. We are led by buffoons. They have no idea what they're doing. We know that now. They're imposters. Everything they touch turns to chaos, not just there, but here. These are the people who run the Amtrak station in midtown Manhattan, the one that's filled with drug addicts. They're the people in charge of the power grid in the state of California. They have no useful skills. And yet somehow these same people assured us they were going to turn Stone Age Afghanistan into modern Belgium. Remembering it now is bitter and hilarious. At this point, our leaders are so discredited, they're running out of ways to criticize the Taliban. Is the Biden administration really going to attack the new government of Afghanistan for forcing women to cover their faces? Are American diplomats actually going to lecture Taliban leaders about toppling statues? Probably not going to happen. That's how much credibility our leaders have lost, how much moral authority they have squandered in the past 20 years. But most of what they've lost is their self-awareness. They have none. Until just this weekend, for example, they had no idea how badly they were failing in Afghanistan. Here's John Kirby of the Pentagon explaining that, calm down, America, everything in Kabul is under control. Keep in mind, we have not edited this tape, and it's not from last year. This is three days ago. Kabul is not uh, right now um, uh, in an imminent threat environment. Oh, good job, John Kirby. Think he'll keep his job? Of course he'll keep his job. A man who's willing to defend pregnant fighter pilots can work in Washington forever. 
And so can Mark Milley at the Joint Chiefs and the rest of the woke clowns at the Pentagon. Generals who are much more worried about white rage in West Virginia than they are about our enemies abroad. When was the last time these guys won a war? Seriously, they hate it when you ask that question. Nothing bothers them more. But what's the answer? When was that? And while we're at it, how about the intel agencies? Their job is very specific. Give policymakers some rough sense of what's going to happen in the world, especially on the big questions so they can make wise decisions. How's the intel world doing on that? Let's see. The collapse of the Soviet Union, 9-11, the fall of Kabul, not small things, major history-changing events. They missed all of those completely. They had no idea. So why are they still there? Well, because someone's got to read your text messages, got to make sure you're not making fun of trans people or anything like that. And then there's the Biden administration overseeing all of it, the group led by the senile credit card shill from Delaware and staffed by power-hungry non-entities who believe they're God. Hubris? That doesn't describe the vibe at the current White House. It's much more grandiose than that, and there's far less justification for it. Here's our sitting national security advisor, for example. He is 44 years old. As far as we can tell, he has never had an actual job. Outside of school, he has no accomplishments whatsoever. Watch this highly respected Rhodes Scholar explain that, in fact, everything you're seeing on TV from Afghanistan is a victory. How do you explain getting this so wrong? Well, first, Savannah, to be fair, the helicopter has been the mode of transport from our embassy to the airport for the last 20 years. But you know the larger that is, point. That is, it's not the that helicopter. Is how we move it's not the mechanism. Forth, so. No, no. It's to, the last minute scramble. You know that. It's the last minute scramble when the assurances from the president himself were this was not what we were going to see. The reason that there are U.S. forces at the airport effectuating a successful drawdown of our embassy, uh, securing the airport to be able to get other people out is because the president pre-positioned those forces, thousands of them, in the Gulf so they could be moved in rapidly in the event that there was a rapid collapse. Oh, so they're effectuating a successful drawdown of our embassy. So that's what we call it when you burn your files and flee in a helicopter from approaching gunfire. You're just effectuating another successful drawdown. Woohoo! We could go on. We could torture you with the failures and the details. We haven't even mentioned our, quote, Secretary of State. Tony Blinken, a man so mediocre you gasp when you hear him speak. Can you really be that dumb and run the Department of State? Yeah, you can. And the last several decades of American foreign policy prove that you can. America is, Afghanistan is not the first country our leaders have left worse than they found it. The list of those countries is long and sadly it's growing. Part of the reason is that for decades, left-wing academics in the U.S. have used the developing world as a laboratory to test their theories about how societies ought to be ordered but aren't. Over time, they've constructed a parallel government of NGOs that work alongside our Pentagon and our State Department, as well as with the United Nations, to impose radical social engineering projects on the world's poorest people who have no say in the matter. Over the past 20 years, for example, Congress has allocated close to a billion dollars to export academic feminism to Afghanistan. Where'd that money go? Well, it went to programs like a two years master's degree in gender and women's studies offered at Kabul University, something Afghans apparently never knew they needed. Another U.S. government effort, meanwhile, funded, quote, activities that educate and engage Afghan men and boys to challenge gender stereotypes. Right. They weren't doing that enough. And of course, always and everywhere, our leaders enforce the most American of all cultural exports, affirmative action. American-funded gender advisors demanded that women compromise at least 10% of the Afghan National Army and a still larger proportion of that country's political leadership. 
Thanks to American-imposed gender quotas, dozens of women ultimately were installed as representatives in Afghan's parliament. How'd that work? Well, the whole thing was a sham, as always. In fact, many of these new female legislators had never been to the provinces they claimed to represent. Almost nobody in Afghanistan liked any of this, by the way, and why would they? As one USAID official conceded in a classified report, quote, focusing on gender made things more unstable because it caused revolts. It caused revolts. But officials kept doing it. They kept pushing radical gender politics anyway because they could because they were in charge of these Stone Age people they were going to educate. This is the face of the late American empire, gender studies seminars at gunpoint. This is not like other empires. Unlike other empires, ours does not operate for our benefit. America toppled Saddam but took no oil. Remember that? Instead, the entire point of our imperial project is to give meaning to the empty lives of the neoliberal bureaucrats who administer it and then enrich the contractors who work for them, who are enriched, you'll be happy to know. What role do the rest of us play in this? None. We just pay for it. Yesterday, to underscore that point, the Biden administration told us that American citizens would not be given priority in the evacuation from Kabul. So our government's official position is that American lives are not more valuable than the lives of foreigners. But you already knew that because you've seen our southern border. The people who made the Afghan occupation possible would like to see a lot more of our southern border, much more unrestrained immigration to the U.S. Bring in the refugees, they're screaming tonight. That's the only lesson they're taking from this debacle. Quote, America must not stand idly by, Mitt Romney tweeted today. The president must urgently rush to defend, rescue and give and expand asylum. There is no time to spare. There's lots of time to spare as Americans die of fentanyl ODs and millions of foreign nationals whose identities we can't confirm move here. But when it comes to bringing Afghans to our country, there's no time to spare. And Liz Cheney firmly agrees with that. So does her friend Bill Kristol and Nancy Pelosi and Victoria Nuland at the State Department and so many more, so many more just like them. These are the architects of the disaster we are watching unfold on television. They should be groveling for our forgiveness, but they're not. Why? Because contrition requires decency. There's no chance. So we're getting it. And if history is any guide, and it's always a guide, we will see many refugees from Afghanistan resettle in our country in coming months, probably in your neighborhood. And over the next decade, that number may swell to the millions. So first we invade and then we're invaded. It is always the same. We'll be spending a lot more time on that subject in recent in coming weeks because it matters. But first, since Kabul has just fallen, it might be worth asking the most obvious question of all. Why did the Taliban win? How did the 6th century triumph over the 21st century? Just unspeakably bad. So I made a pledge that I wouldn't end every show so fucking negative. So I wanted to do something positive. And here's a NASCAR moment. Ooh, the blood in my veins, oh, ooh. But they never did, ever lived, ever and flowing, inhibited, limited, till it broke up when it rained down. It rained down like...
That was a three time times MTJ was taken out by Suarez, his buddy Christopher Bell. And then I find out Tyler Reddick destroys his whole car and destroys Truex, who had just moved up in the top 10. With a car that looked like it was more for your Friday night bumper car derby, he finished 15th at the Indy Road Course. And I was pretty proud of him as a fan. I mean, that's that's pretty damn good. That's pretty damn good. So that's my positive. You know, I tweeted it last night. Um, I'll say it again now. If you know a vet, and if they served in Afghanistan, reach out to them. Those three emails from VA were probably spot on. Because regardless that I'm not suicidal, this has affected me. My mood. I've been less happy. It is really hard to take. It's hard to articulate. I tried in this podcast, but it's just a lot of mumbling. Because it's just hard to believe that we lost so much and accomplished nothing. It's just really hard to believe. So reach out to them. Text them. Say, hey, what's up? I know most vets like me when people say we really appreciate you. I know you don't really mean it. So it doesn't really fucking matter. But it is the thought that counts. I got a text from Matt in Chicago, one of my ex-managers. He didn't say it, but I know that's why he texted me. I know that's why he texted me. Just to see how I was doing. And it made my night. So much so, I didn't respond the next morning because I didn't want to be all mushy because he's a harder man than me. Feelings-wise, you know, he's a hard man. And it made my day. My brother, Randy, reached out to me, and it meant a lot. And sadly, Brett Baer, that was like the coolest thing I've seen on a TV show in a while. It was sincere. It wasn't bullshit. It was, hey, thanks. Nobody wants to be attached to failure. 
My problem with the Biden administration is they wanted this. Cheney, all the never Trump. You didn't want Trump to do this, even though he did a scaled withdrawal. And I'm not saying it would be better. It would probably still be a clusterfuck. But there was a scaled withdrawal. There was a plan. And for that man to get up there and just say, well, I inherited this, when you've overturned everything that's Trump, whether it made sense or not, including the southern border, it took you seven months and finally people realizing you're lying and these immigrants are 40% full of fucking COVID and they're spreading it because you're putting them all over the country. For you to go back to do the Title 42 and stop people. It's that hubris. It's that, oh, fuck it, I don't care. And more importantly, from this podcast perspective, it's that Biden knows it won't matter. They'll just rewrite his history. His legacy won't be hurt. They'll blame Trump. They'll blame the Afghans. They'll blame everybody. And I think you look at all this and you look at our generals, the Milley and the Sekdev and what they focus on, which is what the left focuses on, which is woke. Not war fighting, not saving Afghan lives, none of that shit. And you realize for you as a person who went over and served honorably, all vets, other than these yokels, you feel accountable. You feel like you're part of this. You feel like you let people down. Why can't our leaders feel that? Why can't they for once stop being political and just figure out a way to spin it and go, yeah, this is a cluster, but I'm going to fix it. If anything, George Bush's presidency taught most military leaders, the media, and politicians was that he sat there and said, I'm going to fix this. The whole world told him not to do the surge. He did it. And yeah, it coincided with the awakening, and all of a sudden Afghans got sick of getting murdered, and they fucked motherfuckers up. But regardless, he looked like a winner at the end of that. That was the only thing I liked about Bush. Right or wrong, he did the right thing. He didn't spend the whole time at the podium blaming Clinton. But since him, my God... Obama never took accountability for anything. He spent eight years blaming Bush. He destroyed this war so bad that this this outcome was inevitable. Then we spent four years trying to stop Trump from doing anything. Once again, General Milley withheld troop strength kinetic action, and now lied to another president about the capabilities of our ally. Yet nobody's calling for his head on a stake. By next podcast, they might. And then Biden, right out the gate, destroys everything Trump did. From pipelines to the border, if it was Trump, we're doing the opposite. Water's not wet. And he can get on a stage, fly back under pressure. He was forced, as Jake Tapper said, fly back, do a speech, and leave. And in that speech, have people literally say, that was great. He owned it. 
He owned the decision. He did not own the outcome. Us vets will. We're forever attached to a war we lost. A total abject failure. By next year, they'll be blaming us. It'll be the military's fault. Completely. 100%. As they rewrite their legacy so they can get whoever him or Kamala elected in 2024. That's what we'll do. And if that doesn't put a fucking burr in your saddle, I don't know what's wrong with you. Our country is preconditioned to believe anybody in power is a piece of shit. Anybody who's rich is a piece of shit. Well, except for Obama. You shouldn't tolerate that bullshit. We just shouldn't. We should expect more. Last night, today, the rest of this week, the media won't be broadcasting it. They won't even talk about it. Afghans will be dying wholesale, executed, beheaded, hung. The inclusive Taliban that you're hoping for will not be inclusive, and they'll make sure women and children are part of that death count but what's even worse for 20 years we've gone from 20 to 15 vets a day commit suicide all we talk about is a transgender suicide genocide bullshit that doesn't fucking exist and there'll be suicides off this mark my words vets will get depressed they'll lose hope and they'll make a bad decision That, too, will not be a byproduct of this because Biden's on their team. Nobody will report about it. There's been very little reporting other than Fox about what vets think. MSNBC, that was an accident. They didn't think that guy was going to come on and say that. He was going to blame Trump like they're doing. And to cap this whole shit show off, but next week we won't even be talking about it. Hell, By Friday, we might not be talking about it. We'll be back to COVID. Schools. Voter rights. Climate change. And some conservatives said something. Twitter will ban all sorts of people off this. But the Taliban will have an account. I'm not a Trump supporter, but that's an amazing statement that the last president of the United States is permanently banned from Twitter, but the Taliban day one got blue checked. It says a lot. It says how we are totally not serious people. And it's what always undoes us in wars. We're just not serious. We are a bunch of ADD addled fucking people. We can't hold our attention for more than a day and then we move on to the next Facebook, Twitter trend.
And maybe that's the saddest point of all. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with your family and friends. Remember to go to Fop Podcast where you find all episodes and links to Rumble and SoundCloud. Um, don't know when the next show will be. It'll be sometime next week, so I'm going to leave it open. Uh, wish me luck. Get busy tomorrow at noon, and hopefully we'll be telling you positive stories by next week of my new job, and I had a good time. Until then, reach out to a vet. Anybody. Just say thanks. It will make their day. Y'all take care out there. See you next time.